new at 530, not enough people to get the job done. That's the challenge facing the Army. Although retention numbers are good, recruiting numbers are not. Virginia Senator Tim Kaine discussed the problem with Army leaders today. Afterwards, he spoke with Mike Gooding. All of the military branches are struggling, but the Army especially so when it comes to recruiting. ABC News reports that the situation is dire, with some Army leaders predicting that the service will fall about 10,000 soldiers short of meeting its projected end strength goal by the September 30th end of the 2022 fiscal year. Among the reasons, the pandemic having limited in-person recruiting for the last two years, low civilian unemployment rates nationally, and the strenuous academic and physical fitness requirements for recruits to get into the Army in the first place. Our people are critical to our readiness, but recruiting motivated, fit, and academically proficient men and women continues to be a challenge. Virginia Senator Tim Kaine met Monday with Army Training and Doctrine Command leaders at Fort Eustis to discuss recruiting. He says he is concerned about the recruiting shortfall's impact on overall readiness. Of course I am, so I'm chair of the readiness subcommittee, so I do worry about this. But Kane believes the problem is temporary. Hopefully as we clear more of the, the, this COVID hangover, I expect it's going to come back. Mike Gooding, 13 News Now. One thing that could help is innovative pilot initiatives like the Future Soldier Preparatory Course Program. That's being tested out in South Carolina. The goal is to help Army recruits overcome academic and physical challenges, giving them an extra 90 days to meet or exceed the entrance standards. U.S. military politicization and the retention and recruiting disaster is increasing war risk. Well, welcome back to the Rob Manus Show Live, and we're now on Patriot TV. And welcome back to our X Spaces Live simulcast audience. Uh, we got you over there, Shell and Cat. Copy loud and clear, Colonel. All right. Well, this from the Epic Times quote Retired Army officer says he was barred from publicly recognizing woke policies uh, that are harming recruitment. The Pentagon is aware of how progressive policies are contributing to the U.S. Army's falling short of its recruiting goals, but those on the inside are prohibited from publicly acknowledging this, according to a recently retired Army major. More than a year after replying on behalf of the U.S. Army Recruiting Command, today's guest uh, was requiring, uh, responding to an inquiry from the Epoch Times about the Army's recruitment struggles. Uh, retired Major Charles Chase Spears reached out again not long ago, and Mr. Spears wanted to share an unbridled explanation of the state of recruiting in the U.S. Army, which finished 2023 with 55,000 new recruits, significantly short of the 65,000 uh, recruit goal that it had aimed for in the fiscal year. Uh, he was barred from speaking about these issues, but Mr. Spears said that he was disappointed and frustrated. He often wondered whether there was an ulterior motive for denying him the ability to share the information. Mr. Spears and his family had planned for him to fulfill a 30-year career like many of us do, but in October of 2022, he chose to retire after two decades of service. Well, he's now a doctoral candidate at Kansas State University, and his dissertation is studying the reality of the military as a political entity. Former U.S. Army Recruiting Command spokesman and retired Major Chase Spears is also a signatory 
of the Declaration of Military Accountability and is my guest today. Chase, welcome to the Rob Mana Show, sir. Hey, thanks so much, Colonel. I'm really excited about being with you today. Yeah, we're, I'm really excited too. You know, that video was was not a new video. That was some time ago, uh, before the end of the pandemic. So all last year, uh, we heard from Army and DOD and other service leadership, uh, you know, well, we have a problem with the, the amount of people qualified in the population uh, that's uh, limiting us from getting adequate numbers of recruits and getting reaching the goals that our all-volunteer force set that really has not had a previous problem uh, reaching these kind of goals uh, at this level. Uh, I mean, it might be one service or another, uh, but all four services were struggling last year. I think the Marine Corps eventually met its goal, but uh, but uh, uh, the other services did not, Chase. And uh, uh, when, uh, when I learned about your experience as the recruiting command spokesman, I really wanted to talk to you uh, because, you know, all we've heard is denial, 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 when those of us that have served uh, especially bring up the fact that wokeism, what some people call wokeism, critical race theory, diversity, equity, inclusion, those kinds of policies are really hurting recruiting out there. Uh, but you weren't allowed to talk about that kind of stuff, were you? Unfortunately not. Uh, you've seen it. I've seen it. Uh, many of our fellow Americans have seen it. The fact of the matter is that policy has an impact on whether people want to join the services or not. You as a veteran, I as a veteran, we understand that when we join, we literally place our lives in people's hands. We literally raise our right hands and say that we are willing at potential sacrifice of our lives to carry out the policies of the United States hopefully for the benefit of our national security, for our national safety, for our national sovereignty. And when you see now three consecutive years, three consecutive mm -hmm. years of major recruiting shortfalls, we're not talking missing it by 500 here, a thousand there, significant shortfalls to the point that the force is actively planning. How are they going to shrink? What units are going to go away to cope with this? And to continue to deny that there's a political element to this, uh, it's it's just absolute madness when when it's so obvious to so many other people. Yeah, it is madness. Uh, uh, so you haven't been out of the army that that long. Uh, what were folks on the ground talking about uh, uh, in your circles? I mean, obviously you were in recruiting command, so you had to be listening uh, to what the, the non commissioned officers. Uh, uh, and the recruits, uh, the accessions were saying uh, about this issue and probably those that chose not to come in too. I would imagine you'd get data uh, and uh, information of, among conversations about that. What were you hearing? It was not a surprise. It was not a secret that one of the many concerns, one of the many reasons that young people had for an apprehension to want to join in the current climate was the reality of the current policies that we are under, was the reality of the current uh, preferences of the chain of command when it comes to political and social issues. Uh, this was, and this is not a surprise to anyone in the military. The data is out there. The Secretary of Defense himself attends the annual Reagan National Defense Summit 
And for the last two years, that has been one of the key indicators coming out in their survey of military trust of showing a precipitous drop in trust. And we're talking drops in trust that are the steepest we've seen since the Vietnam era. We are on a historical scale here. They see that data, they're briefed on that data, they are aware of that data. Um, but the talking points that we were to push out were to absolutely ignore that portion of it. Now, I don't deny that the recruiting issue is a complex issue, that there are a lot of factors at play. Uh, I, don't, I don't deny that there are economic factors at play. I don't deny the fact that there's a worker shortage play. There are all these other things that, that are put out as part of these statements that are true. And I'm not denying that by any means. But to deny the fact that there is a political element, well, that's the elephant in the room. And my contention yeah. when I was on the press desk with recruiting command was the best way to make the elephant in the room go away is to acknowledge the elephant in the room. Say, we understand that some people have these concerns. We acknowledge some people have these concerns and then talk about, but we are going to do our best at the local unit level to take care of your soldiers and acknowledge it. But when you don't acknowledge yep. the elephant in the room, you just give it more power. And that was the argument I made, but, uh, but it was a failed attempt over and over again. And there's a lot of elephants in the room that the, the leadership all the way down to the squad leader level uh, are being told not to acknowledge. And that erodes trust both within the force uh, and outside the force, because these young soldiers, they talk to their parents and their aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters, and their families talk to each other. Uh, you know, well, well, let's go over to our live audience and take a question from them. Uh, uh, we like to engage with our live audience over on uh, X Spaces uh, and our hostesses are Kat and Shell. Cat, uh, you guys got a question over there? Yeah, you knew I'd have a question. Um, <laughs> Major, I got a question for you since you just recently um, separated from the military. How, if, am I right that I have um, read in some articles that they are talking about reducing recruiting standards where like uh mental disorders are concerned and i'm thinking if that is true what could possibly go wrong with that scenario um but i had read i'd read an article that said they were gonna people that had some certain types of um i don't even know what you want to call it a mental disorder i mean whatever it is anxiety whatever it is um could still be considered for military recruitment is that true I, I have read similar articles myself. I now being on the outside, I don't I'm not privy to any of the internal documents related to that, but I've read that same report. I'm familiar with it. I have no reason to doubt it. Uh, at the end of the day, the military has a, a set number that they have to get to. They are told by Congress, this is your force structure, get to that number. And they're going to drill and dig wherever they have to drill and dig to get those people. I, we, we heard, we remember back during the Vietnam era, the saying was go to war or go to jail. I know when I enlisted 20 years ago, uh, there were a couple of folks in my basic training class. Uh, it was basically their choice, go to war or go to jail. And uh, during my time, my last couple of years in the army, especially my time at recruiting command, I, I saw the uh, the new academy that was stood up out there at Fort Jackson, South Carolina to give soldiers 90 days to come up to academic standards, to come into physical standards. Uh, so the bottom line is that there have, as you find fewer and fewer people willing to join, 
you have to go to levels of the population that you otherwise would not have. So uh, it definitely concerns me as a veteran, as a as a stakeholder in, this, in the institution, as someone who loves the Army, as, as someone who's a, 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 an American citizen. It concerns me a lot to think, are we willing to let people who have mental disorders come in and receive military training and put weapons in their hands? And, and trust that everything is going to turn out right. That That's a risk I certainly hope we as a nation are not in the need to take. Yeah, that's one of my concerns with the whole transgender issue. Uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. it's not unusual, as you've pointed out, Chase, that uh, we have we have requirements that, are, that uh, you have to meet to be qualified to serve. Uh, we have blanket requirements that, that apply across the board, whether you're a man, woman, uh, or whatever, uh, and uh, not being on medications that tax the logistics system, uh, being uh, uh, being uh, uh, susceptible to anxiety, being susceptible to uh, uh, to mental breakdowns, and those kinds of things is it uh, is something that you have to be able to be to be qualified is is what it should be. Uh, and uh, and that's why I don't believe that those folks uh, should be qualified no more than anybody that's too old or too young or overweight, you know, uh, and those kind of things. Uh, so if you're having to take uh, these, uh, you know, uh, psychotropic medications, et cetera, uh, and then uh, expect to be deployed into a combat zone, uh, especially if you're in the trigger puller category or the bomb dropper category where you have to be stable you know, physically and mentally, uh, uh, that should be a disqualifying thing. And I think, I think a lot of parents see that this administration is doing the opposite. Uh, and as a matter of fact, is, is promoting uh, transgender uh, theory and transgender policies that will put their kids at risk. And I think they identify that. It's, it's not the institution that I joined. The institution that I left, I retired four months ago, is is absolutely a different military than the one I joined. To your point, to enlist, there were certain medical checks that I had to do. I there were I had to be at a certain body weight. I had to be able to demonstrate a certain physical proficiency. I had to demonstrate that I did not require any prescription medications at the time. Because we well, we've got to take a break, a and we'll, we'll talk more about that on the back side of the break. And we'll hear from a out-of-touch chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, last chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, uh, Chase. Uh, uh, but I want to hear more about that after we come back from this break. I'm Brad Manius. The world is about to shift. Banks are going cashless globally with the emergence of central bank digital currency, which will bring with it programmable money and the ability to turn on or off your purchasing power based on your digital social profile. It's like the equivalent of spyware in your bank account. You need to get out of the system with the world's safest and most private assets, silver and gold. Call Kirk Elliott, Ph.D. at 877-547-5743. That's 877-KIRK-PHD. We 
Welcome back to the Rob Mater Show. Uh, go ahead and run clip two, uh, Mr. Producer. And I, I want to understand white rage, and I'm white, and I want to understand it. So what is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America? What caused that? I want to find that out. I want to maintain an open mind here, and I do want to analyze it. It's important that we understand that, because our soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, and guardians, they come from the American people. So it is important that the leaders, now and in the future, do understand it. I've read Mao Zedong. I've read, I've read Karl Marx. I've read Lenin. That doesn't make me a communist. So what is wrong with understanding, having some situational understanding about the country for which we are here to defend? Welcome back to the Rob Manor Show. We're talking today with retired U.S. Army Major Chase Spears, who was also the spokesman for U.S. Army Recruiting Command that was uh, really prohibited from talking about uh, a lot of the things that are causing the recruiting and retention problem and actually weakening our military forces uh, and therefore weakening our status in the world and our deterrent effect, as you can see around the world, uh, deterrence, the United States and allied deterrence uh, against warfare is is failing every single day somewhere uh, in the rest of the world. And life didn't used to be that way. Well, welcome back uh, to the show, Chase. Uh, before the break, you, we were talking about uh, uh, what the parents are seeing and those kind of things. And you were talking about your experience. Uh, that was Mark Milley there uh, with his famous right white rage comment, uh, which he's completely disconnected. Uh, from reality. The reality is, is that critical race theory and, and this Marxism is being used to indoctrinate our forces, indoctrinate our sessions, including our officer corps at the service academies uh, and queer theory, gender theory, they're all based in Marxism. It's not about studying Marx. I've read Marx. I studied Soviet communism. I've studied China's communism, but this is about indoctrinating a political ideology into our forces. Uh, is it not? It absolutely is. There's no other way to describe it. Uh, like you, I enjoy being widely read. If, if you saw the stack of books that uh, that I'm always working, it's, it's rather tall. I enjoy reading widely. I enjoy reading authors that I disagree with. I enjoy reading. Uh, I've read quite a bit of Marxist literature over my last four years as a doctoral student. That's kind of par for the course in today's academy. Uh, I'm all about being exposed to a wide array of ideas. And, but that's what I choose to do as a scholar. That's what you chose to do as, as a man who wants to be well-learned. That's entirely different than being in the military context and having books that are, that are written to have a hostile point of view and to perpetuate a hostile point of view towards our way of life to say, this is the part of the professional reading list. This is how we want you to think. This is what we want you to absorb. That's absolutely divisive. Now, if a soldier wants to read that stuff on their own time for, for learning and for understanding the humanities better, I'm all for it. I love reading. I love learning. But that's entirely different than having your chain of command at a service academy put books in your hand that are absolutely ab against everything that we believe in saying, read this, understand it. This is what this is the way we think. Yeah. And, and that session Milley was in was before Congress. And, and part of it was uh, talking about uh, Lloyd Austin and and Joe Biden's anti-extremism training program, mandatory training program that was executed in the summer of 2021 after Biden took office on the military. 
uh, uh, was part of that discussion. And we just learned in a report just just days ago, I think, that uh, uh, that in 2018, white recruiting for white Americans was at about 44,000, a little bit over 44,000. But uh, in 2023, that has dropped to just over 25,000, almost 50%. Uh, and folks, you should keep in mind that the majority of the folks that sign up to be what, what I call trigger pullers or drop, bomb droppers, the people that meet the enemy uh, at the point of the spear with weapons, and, and their job is to to seek out and destroy America's enemies or or die trying, quite frankly, uh, those that that cohort is white males, uh, about 90 percent of them. Most of them are. Uh, so so this is a dramatically dangerous issue uh, when we look at it from now. Now that we've got these numbers, isn't it, Chase? It absolutely is. Imagine if you would, we had a 50 percent drop and blacks enlisting in the force and Hispanics enlisting in the force and women enlisting in the force, there would be absolute outrage at the top service levels. There'd be outrage at the congressional level, trying to figure out how did we alienate an entire people group to where they no longer want to associate with the army, but because it's, it's white men, um, you know, big whoop, they don't seem to, that, that doesn't ring an alarm bell, except for the fact that it's a significant slice into their numbers. Uh, we had this concept, I'm sure you've heard of it during your time in the Air Force, called the Southern Smile. And the idea is when you look at these states from Appalachia working their way down south uh, across the Gulf Coast area into Texas, that's kind of the Southern mm -hmm. Smile, where most recruits come from. They're mostly conservative, very patriotic. That's been the recruiting, the majority of the recruiting base for the last several decades. Well, in the last few years, we've had senior military leaders say, we want to get away from that. I sat in a room my last about two years before I retired, and I had a general officer say out loud, we need to get away from recruiting those Southern people because they don't look like America. And, and I really had to hold myself back. I thought to myself, they looked enough like America to bleed and die in Afghanistan. They looked enough like America to go to Iraq time and time and time again. Um, and what's what's the and what's the excuse? Well, the lot the only logical conclusion one can come to is that there's a political factor at play here, to where the current ruling elite class wants the military to look very different. They want to transform it, and they make no bones about it. Yeah, uh, that's something I read this week too. You know, I'm a, I'm from a multi generational military service family. It goes back to July of uh, 1775 on my dad's side, uh, mm. and uh, every generation has volunteered to serve, not drafted, but volunteered in, in at least one of the services uh, during that time, during up to today, uh, and including three of my four sons uh, have volunteered to serve, uh, and my fourth son. I refuse to recruit him. I'm not going to recruit him, even though he would make a great soldier, airman, sailor, marine, or whatever they call the Space Force people, uh, uh, guardians uh, or Coast Guardsmen. Uh, I just refuse to recruit him under this uh, this cloud. You know, uh, when the reason why white re male recruiting, and it's a white male problem because that what 16 percent mm -hmm. of the force is women. Uh, so, uh, so this problem is a white male problem. Uh, and one of the reasons Millie was having to answer questions about that extremism training is because it targeted white males 
my mm -hmm. third son, who was on active duty at the time, was a staff, brand new staff sergeant, shift leader on the night shift uh, in maintenance uh, on the flight line. And he had to take his men and women through an exercise that in the end clearly showed uh, uh, physically that white males were more privileged than everybody else uh, in mm. the unit because of a, tr a required training exercise and everything. And, you know, he left active duty within six months of having to give that training. Uh, and uh, I encouraged him to leave because I was shocked by that. Uh, and uh, it's weakening our force, though, Chase. You know, I mentioned that most of the trigger pullers and bomb droppers are, are white men. Uh, and, and it's not that women can't do it or other folks can't do the job. I'm sure anybody that's physically and mentally qualified ought to be able to compete for those jobs. It's just that their women are built different, uh, quite frankly, uh, and they're not necessarily the best physically, uh, especially physically, to do those jobs. So they don't get into them, uh, even though many of them probably try. Uh, I know they do. Uh, I mean, my best... My best combat pilots in my last combat deployment as a flying squadron commander were women. The top two combat co-pilots were, were women in my squadron and, uh, uh, because they could do the job, uh, you know. Uh, and uh, it just really, quite frankly, uh, when you stop recruiting the cohort and you tell the cohort that provides you those numbers that you need in order to be uh, – a, uh, a ready fighting force to defend America, you're intentionally damaging our readiness and our deterrent effect around the world. And the bad guys see it because they're watching everything, you know, and today they can see almost everything. There's very little you can hide uh, when it comes to, you know, culture and the military and those kind of things. Uh, you know, uh, uh, so it's just really sad and everything, but uh, what is uh what is going to be the change that's needed in order for the services to turn this around? Because I'm cheering for them. I'm rooting for them. I don't want my institution that I served and my dad served and brothers served and all of my dad's family served back to the 1775 to fail. I want it to be strong so that we have a free America that my grandchildren can grow in. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I love the military. I gave 20 years of my life. I wanted to give a, a 30 years of my life. That That's what my wife and I planned on. We loved what we did. We loved the adventure. Uh, but it just came, you know, it became very real to us that this was not going to be a happy place for us long term, that, that someone who looked like me, who thought like me, uh, was not going to be welcomed among the new diverse ranks of the uh, Biden era Biden post era military. Uh, I'm like you, I'm cheering for the military. I, I want to be able to go out and tell young people it's a great opportunity. I want to go out and tell my kids it's a great opportunity. Uh, I have one son who serves in the National Guard, uh, but the rest of my children at this current point in time, I'm not encouraging any of them to go in. And them having watched what my life was like the last couple of years, they have no desire to go in currently. It all, it all starts That's at the top. Uh, it, it does. Yeah. It does. Uh, let's take a question from the live audience real quick before we go to the next break. Go ahead, Kat, Shell. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, Colonel, I think you guys nailed it on the head, right? You have to be proud of mm -hmm. not only the country, right, but proud yeah. of the commander-in-chief and trust in him 
that he's not going to take you into unnecessary wars and he's not going to put you through the stuff that they see uh, the military being put through now. The thing that really alarmed me was when Dick Durbin said to address this problem on the Senate floor, he proposed to bring in um, illegals directly into the military. I was interested in what your thoughts were on that. That's a great question, Chase. Uh, You know, uh, I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Uh, What do you think about illegal aliens being allowed to serve with with the expectation to earn citizenship uh, in the United States Armed Forces? That that's got to be an absolute non-starter for our nation. We've we've had many many uh, lawful immigrants come into the military and have an expedited method because of their military service to get their citizenship, and and I think that's wonderful. I think that's honorable. When I was stationed at Fort Meade many years ago, I got to go up to Baltimore a couple of times and actually watch a couple of our soldiers get sworn in as citizens. Uh, it was just a very exciting, very proud moment for all of us to to know the change that was happening in their life, but know how hard they worked to earn that. But when you mm-hmm. have legal immigration, that's an entirely different thing. How, how do you expect someone who is here unlawfully to take the pledge the oath of service seriously. That that's that's yeah. an absolutely foreign concept. Do, do we want a mercenary force? It, that is a dangerous thing. Uh, standing armies were known to be a dangerous thing to liberty all throughout our history. Uh, that would just mm-hmm. you're just inviting the fox into the hen house at that point in time. Oh, you absolutely are. You know, uh, taking an oath to the Constitution of the United States when the first action you took was to break it, uh, break it because mm-hmm. it's the law of the land. Uh, well, we got to take a our next break. But when we come back, I'm going to show an army commercial uh, that that proves that even though they won't acknowledge it to the American people, that they've figured out who they really need to be recruiting. I'm Ron Manis here on Patriot TV, and uh, we'll be right back with retired Major Chase Spears. When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company, like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, Long time no see. No can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder. Just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work.
Welcome back to the Rob Maynard Show live here on Patriot TV. We're excited because next week we go back to four days a week at 4 p.m. Eastern. And uh, what you just watched there was a U.S. Army 30-second recruiting commercial full of white males that are in combat gear loading up on a helicopter and then jumping out of the helicopter, landing in their parachutes, getting their combat gear together, forming up to go uh attack an objective and they're all white men we're talking with retired u.s army major uh chase spears today who was the spokesman for the u.s army recruiting command not too long ago uh and uh, uh one of his frustrations was that he wasn't allowed to talk about the issue the real issues uh that are a large part of why we can't meet our recruiting and retention goals and chase uh welcome back to the show man we appreciate you uh, that commercial really says it all. It says the leadership knows, right? They've see, yeah, it, it absolutely does. They they'll they'll never admit it because they don't want to in any way risk uh, embarrassing their political masters. Uh, but data is data, and at some point, rock hard reality hits, and that commercial is one indicator of it. Uh, I look at that commercial and I miss being in. You probably see I have paratrooper wings here on my uh, yeah, my suit today. I almost almost called it a uniform out of habit. Uh, I mean that being a paratrooper was something I absolutely loved. Uh, it was a way of life for me, and and I see stuff like that and it inspires me. That's the kind of message that I, as a veteran, want to take to other young people and say look at this opportunity to get to do something where you're a part of a team, where you're part of something greater than yourself, where, where you, uh, you live a way of life that no one else understands, but your jump buddy to your right and to your left, they get it. That's the message that we need. Not, not these messages of division, not these messages of intersectionality, not these messages of well, one group is privileged over the other. That just sows distrust and discord in the ranks. We've had enough of that. And it's really high time that the political elite decide that it, they, need, they need to move on. Let the military do what the military does best, and that is to protect the nation and allow it to protect the nation instead of sending it overseas on all these foreign adventures uh, on behalf of other nations while our own southern border is being invaded. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you nailed it. Pride and trust. Uh, you know, pride in your nation, pride in your in your own performance uh, and trust in your leadership, trust in your nation that they're not going to uh, waste the life that you offer up as a blank check if necessary uh, to uh, to uh, destroy America's enemies if we're called on to do that. You know, yesterday I just, or today I just tweeted out that yesterday was my 44th anniversary of, of getting my uh, explosive ordnance disposal badge pinned on as an E1 mm. by a big giant Marine Corps first lieutenant that I'd spent a year with uh, uh, and everything. And uh, uh, that's because it's a huge achievement uh, to be able to accomplish something like that while serving your country and earning the trust of your teammates. And it didn't matter whether that big Cajun lieutenant uh, or or the U.S. Marine Corps warrant officer who was a black combat veteran that saved me from failing out of that course, which has a, over 50 percent attrition rate in it. Uh, that's what we're talking about. It's not that we only want white men to sign up is what we want Americans to sign up and be trained and uh, and professionally uh, educated to trust each other. Because when we go to war, when the bullets are flying and the bombs are dropping and the rockets and artillery shells are coming in at you and you got to go into it to achieve an objective so that we can win and defeat our enemies, 
you have to have complete and utter trust in each other before anything else. And Marxist critical theory of all types, race, gender, queer, all of it, destroy that trust based on an immutable characteristic. It's usually skin color. Uh, and that's unacceptable in the United States uh, in, in general and unacceptable in the United States Armed Forces. And we have to root it out of every single institution, ladies and gentlemen. We absolutely do, uh, because we will not win ever again, whether it's in the military or in industry or in services or in IT or big tech. We will not win if we are indoctrinating our young people to not trust each other because of something like skin color. It just will not work, Chase. Well, what do you think... Uh, uh, the army leadership's thinking about because when you contrast that commercial with the two commercials that we saw a year ago, about a year ago, I think it was, where you had these cartoony type commercials. One's a transgender girl, uh, a man wanting to be a girl, uh, it, you know, and the other's a, a, a young lady with two moms or something like that. And, and the contrast then was, was with Russian recruiting commercials that looked and felt a lot like that 32nd U.S. Army commercial that just came out. Uh, did, uh, uh, what decision process was occurring during that time period that has led us to that commercial we just saw today? Or is it just it was forced because the numbers are what they are? That's a really good question. Uh, I'll have to hypothesize on that. I, I suspect a large part of it is at some point the bean counters had to acknowledge reality and say, okay, we are now three years into this thing, into this recruiting crisis. What we're doing is not working. We have been telling an entire, our, our bread and butter uh, population for recruiting that they're not wanted, that they're a problem, that, that they are privileged and that, that we could do better without them in the military. And at some point, they saw the impacts of that. I think that's probably part of it. I think another potential part of it, and again, I'm theorizing here, is we have a new Army Chief of Staff, General Randy George. And General George has really been big since he came in from day one about lethality and ability to conduct warfare is the priority of the Army. Every chief of staff comes in, has a different priority. Uh, his predecessor, it was people strategy, which I appreciated the theory of, but its application was somewhat laughable. Uh, predecessor before that had a different strategy. Chief, uh, General Odierno had sec stopping sexual assault in the ranks. That was his number one priority. And I, I remember thinking, well, that's interesting. I mean, I, I want sexual assault in the ranks to go away entirely too, but, but we also are supposed to train on war fighting as well. General George has brought in a much more tactical mindset from talking to my friends who are still in the uniform, reading the things that General George is saying. So I don't know where where General George comes down politically, and that's exactly as it should be. It seems like it seems like some leadership at the top has changed out and, and their understanding. If we want to prevent the continued decline of the force, we have to put the brakes on this and pivot direction. And so I'm pleased to see it, it, at least one indicator there with that commercial uh, that it seems like a slight course adjustment is happening. But we're going to, it's going to have to go even higher than that. The next president is going to have to be very deliberate about doing some cleaning house at the Pentagon. We need a defense secretary who is not an activist, who's a, a 
a warfighter, uh, and we need a president who sees the military as a an agent of defending the nation, not as an agent for social experimentation. Yeah, I'm glad you went there because it's one of the things I wanted to ask you after I found out what your dissertation is on in your in your PhD program is uh, you're obviously doing a lot of research uh, and looking at primary documents, talking to actual individuals, surveying them, and those kind of things. What are you learning about the the reality of a politicized military, which we have today, really, uh, and what the impacts of that will be uh, moving into the future uh, uh, forward uh, if it's not done uh, away with so that we're back to what you and I are used to. Definitely in my career, uh, it was always about you're nonpartisan. Uh, we don't get into politics. Uh, even even the political generals at the top didn't get into politics, uh, other than the politics of, you know, competing to get the job and those and get promoted and those kind of things. So, you know, uh, what's your what's your research showing you in your in your doctorate program? Uh, that uh, uh, that two things. One, uh, how bad is it really if you've gotten there yet? And uh, what are folks saying about what needs to be done as we move forward to eradicate that and return to a nonpartisan military? Yeah, you're absolutely right about the nonpartisan norm. That's been something that's really kind of been a, a big thing since the 1950s, uh, started with the ideas of Samuel Huntington and his book, The Soldier and the State. Now, you and I as warfighters, we know that, that as Clausewitz said, war is an extension of policy. War is policy under, under force of arms on behalf of nation. But we have held in the U.S. military for about the last 70 years a nonpartisan norm, which we called kind of an apolitical norm. That's what General Milley uh, likes to talk about a lot. And the idea was, yes, we all have our different perspectives. We're all citizens, but you don't bring that into work uh, here when we're, when we're in uniform, when we're together, when we're in formation. Uh, we are united and we speak about the things that unite us and we look for the things that unite us because we have to have complete trust in each other. And what I'm finding in my research uh, sadly confirms much of what my experience was and I was hoping it wouldn't, is that we are now reaching the point where if you say something that is politically aligned to a progressive way of thought, a Marxian way of thought, that that's apparently not considered political anymore. That's just... Uh, you're principled or you're socially aware. Whereas if you're a principally conservative person, if you have a traditional point of view, i.e. you were born a man or a woman, uh, something that controversial that you now, if you say something like that, you're engaged in politics and it is appropriate for you to be institutionally shamed and silenced. And, and there is absolutely, I experienced a spiral of silence during my time in I watched and observed many spirals of silence. I have many friends in who think like me, but they are deathly afraid to say anything. They're just trying to stand to the radar and write it out. And I, I'm seeing that in my dissertation research as well with veterans who got out in the last few years as well, that they, they're openly saying uh, my their understanding of politics is if you say something aligns to a traditional way of thinking, that now you are outside the, what the institution believes to be acceptable and it had major trust implications for them. Yeah. And that's an unacceptable institutional path. Well, let's go back to the live audience for a, uh, for a quick question before the break. Uh, Shell, Kat, what do you have over there? Elizabeth, go ahead. Thank you, Kat. And thank you, Colonel. 
one of my questions, and I don't know if anybody can even answer it. It's going to be, a, I think, a wait and see. But my question is, do you think if we can get President Trump back into office or somebody that's got more conservative values, do you think that our military can be saved and gotten rid of some of this um, mental illness that's going on? Well, that's a great question. That's exactly what we were talking about just uh, just now, Chase. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I mean, you didn't mention it specifically, but I would imagine that if uh, I use the phrase uh, "America is great," I love America, uh, and the words "Make America Great Again" happen to spill out of my mouth, uh, even though those are non-political words. Uh, those are patriotic words. Uh, really, that's the way I see it. If I have a hat on, it says that. I see it as a patriotic word, not a partisan or a political word uh, or set of values that that you would get the treatment uh, over you about 20 seconds before the break. Yeah, you would absolutely get the treatment to answer the question. I believe the institution can be saved, but it's going to be a long, hard, concerted effort. Personnel is policy. And one of President Trump's biggest mistakes was assuming that the generals were all of traditional uh, thinking and that they all loved the institution that they, and that they were insulated from politics. Uh, I hope he's learned that lesson. And if he's reelected, he's, he's got to be forceful in personnel. Absolutely right. Uh, well, uh, all this is about readiness and the ability to deter or win a war if we have to. And we'll talk about the 90 second to midnight doomsday clock and our American readiness and deterrence capability on the backside of this break. I'm Rob Manus, live here on Patriot TV. We'll be right back. What if this happened to you when you're alone? Or what if it happened here? With MedGuard Alert, you're never alone. You can connect with medical professionals anywhere, anytime. And now MedGuard is introducing our exclusive new CareWatch. If you need help quickly, use it from anywhere to contact medical professionals. No cell phone required. The CareWatch is not only a life-saving medical alert device, it's a revolutionary health monitoring system that checks your blood pressure, heart rate, oxygen saturation, and much more. And here's the best part. If you have Medicaid, you may qualify to get your care watch for free. The care watch is only available through MedGuard Alert. Call us right now. We have monitoring programs starting as low as a dollar a day. The call is free. Activation is free. Shipping is free. And no contract is required. Remember, with Medicaid, you may qualify to get your care watch for free. Don't wait. Call us to get your care watch right now. Operators are standing by. You talked about the doomsday clock. Um, it has been set at 90 seconds to midnight, same as last year. Is there some cause for optimism there? Well, I, I, where, where there is optimism, I think we must grab it. Yeah, certainly it hasn't gone worse. But 90 seconds to midnight, when you think uh, when the Soviet bloc fell down, it was 17 minutes away from midnight. Uh, during the Cold War, it was a lot uh, longer. And remember in the Cold War, talking about having to mobilize people for the army, in the Cold War, we all knew what to do. I know that most of your viewers are probably too young to remember the pamphlets through the post and the black and white cartoons on TV. But um, with it at 90 seconds to midnight, you know, I personally think it would be a good idea 
that people actually knew what to do. And certainly, you know, my my help uh, supporting the Ukraine people, you know, we have an app there and everybody knows exactly how to prepare, what to do and how to survive an attack. And, and perhaps the government, when it looks to increase spending on the military, which absolutely should, should also just do a gentle reminder to people what to do in the event of this uh, catastrophe, which will be more likely if we leave, let our defence drift any more than it is at the moment. Welcome back to the Rob Mana Show live here at Patriot TV. And we're excited to be on Patriot TV. Uh, go check it out. Uh, sign up to take in other shows and everything. We're, uh, we're new to the network and uh, we're just ecstatic. We'll get started on four days a week, Monday through Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern. Uh, just like we were uh, a few months ago in our last network. And we want to get new folks on board. So, folks, uh, I know that you've been watching us. Uh, the Spaces audience uh, has grown to between 750 and 1,000 per show, and that's fantastic. But let's make it even bigger because, you know, we, we want to get the facts and the truth out. Uh, and what you just saw there was a, a little piece on the doomsday clock and not being moved any closer than 90 seconds to midnight. But, you know, under the last administration, the doomsday clock uh, was irrelevant. And then a little bit over a year ago, it was restarted and set to 90 seconds to midnight because of the disaster that we're seeing in the world and the failure of American and Western allied deterrence. And we're talking with retired Army Major Chase Spears, who's a former spokesman for the U.S. Army Recruiting Command. Uh, Chase, I wanted to devote this last segment to readiness uh, and capability, uh, and what this recruiting and retention disaster means to the risk levels of us getting into uh, a World War III, because we're in major wars in two different places, really, uh, in one way or another, in Ukraine, in Europe, or uh, in the Middle East, uh, all around the uh, Suez Canal, Red Sea, and the Persian Gulf, uh, uh, and the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, yeah, absolutely, Rob. When you look at human history, human history is marked by conflict. There's always a tribe at war with, with each other. There's always a state at war with each other. We have been really fortunate to live in a, a very small historical window in which you had really Western and U.S., primarily U.S. leadership that was able to bring some stability to the world. Now, there were still many, many wars. The bloodiest wars in history happened in the 20th century, uh, but we always hope that eventually coming out of them will we'll reach some point that, that we're not continuing to have these big wars. And, and unfortunately, there always will be wars. There always have been. But America was always somewhat of a stabilizing force and at least offered a some level of deterrence. Uh, there's no doubt that if we had a strong national defense policy, if we had an occupant of the White House who the rest of the world feared and took seriously, the invasion of Ukraine would not have happened. The Hamas attack in, into Israel would not have happened. But when, when the world, when tyrants sense American weakness, they take advantage of that and they exploit it. And the question we have to ask as Americans is, do we want to continue playing a role in being a stabilizing force in the world? Yes or no? And right now, the answer has clearly been no. And if we have... If we are going to allow our military to continue being seen as an agency that should be uh, distrusted, the, the public should question whether or not to send their sons or daughters, 
well, that's going to have ripple effects that cause the force to necessarily shrink. If you're only recruiting 60, 70, 80% of the people you need every year, you're going to reach a point in time where, well, you have companies that are only 60, mm-hmm. 70, 80% staffed. And that inevitably affects your readiness and the world notices and tyrants around yeah. the world are watching to see would America be prepared and would they be willing? And if the answer is no, we're about to see an interesting point of history. Yeah, we are. I mean, and, and they have some, some really incriminating data points uh, recently, you know, like the disaster of the withdrawal in, in Iraq in Afghanistan. Uh, which uh, some veterans I've heard say was a surrender, quite honestly. Uh, and that's that's pretty compelling uh, testimony right there. And I'm not talking about veterans like me that have been out for 10 years, but that folks that have just left the service uh, after that debacle. You know, uh, so the adversaries see that. Uh, uh, and the adversaries see what's happening within our services with the the uh, the critical theory policies and the indoctrination using Marxism uh, to get our own troops to distrust each other as an innate value of their service in the United States Armed Forces. I almost said team, but I cannot I cannot say the words distrust each other and teammates in the same sentence and make it sound like it's logical because it's illogical. And our adversaries are seeing that too, aren't they? They absolutely are. Think for a moment to China. They're run by the CCP. It's a a government that's founded on Marxist principle. I promise you within their army, they are not indoctrinating their military men to be suspicious of each other. They're indoctrinating their military men to see with a unified vision so that should the nation of China decide that they want to engage in warfare somewhere at the actual physical level, we know they're engaging in warfare economically and electronically, uh, but if the CCP decides we want to go to war physically, kinetically with our force, they want that force marching in lockstep. It's to their benefit for us not to be in lockstep. These these policies, these Marxian ideas within the force, they just sow division, they, they sow mistrust. As you said earlier, when the bullets are flying, you don't need to be wondering if your battle buddy to the right or to the left, or if your sergeant or if your commander, if they have your back because, well, they're of a different intersectionality, they're of a different way of belief. You don't need to have that in your mind. You need to have on your mind, what do I do right now to stay alive and advance the mission and to have complete trust in the person to the right and to the left? And and that's what we've got to get back to. And that's what these policies are undermining. Yeah, when you talk to an infantryman that's been in combat, uh, uh, I've never heard one not tell me this. Look, we don't die for our country when we're in the infantry. We die and live for each other. Uh, and mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I've talked to many, many men uh, that have done that job in real-life combat uh, of all sizes uh, and uh, of all races. Uh, and uh, they That's what they actually believe. Well, let's take one more question from the live audience before we close the show out. It's been a great show so far. Cat and Shell, uh, I see a hand up over there. Go ahead. Go ahead, Joseph. Yes, sorry about that. Can you hear me? Yes. Fantastic. Uh, Thank you, Colonel. Thank you, Cat. I'm coming up here to ask about uh, just basically not only foreign 
issues over not only in the Middle East and Ukraine and China, but also here in our own states. We got Texas with their border patrol down at the border in Eagles Pass securing our border while we got the Biden administration trying to dismantle this border. And I know it's, it's a little bit off topic, but this is, from what I'm looking at, really close to bleeding Kansas in the time period before the American Civil War. I really, I'm not a separatist. I don't want Texas to leave the union. I want to restore confidence in the federal government and its ability to protect our nation. But what are we looking at when it comes to the United States as a federal entity and its operations down at the border and the National Guard of Texas picking up the slack that the federal government should be doing and instead they are facilitating and human smuggling and destroying our border and in my opinion, confidence in the federal government itself. I don't mean to get too off topic, but I think it ties in with readiness of the American people, not only in Texas, but with the rest of the United States, not just with foreign uh, threats, but a domestic threat with civil strife. I'll yield with that. Absolutely. You know, I'll take 10 seconds to, to say my part about it. And that is that, uh, you know, the discussion about illegal aliens being allowed to serve in the U.S. Armed Forces is critically important to that question uh, as part of it. And the other piece to it is uh, that uh, we have uh, the National Guard and reserves and active duty forces, and all of them are sworn to protect and defend the United States Constitution. Uh, and there is an expectation that all members of the government elected, appointed, or hired are going to follow the law and equally apply the law according to what the way it is written and not uh, ignore the law, whether it's federal, state, or local level. I'll throw it over to Chase there for about 30 seconds we've got, Chase. This gets to a big question I've been asking, and it's probably one of the next articles I'm going to write is, what is the point of maintaining this large military if we're not going to use it to secure our own border? That is the point of having a military, is to protect one's own homeland. And so God bless Texas, God bless Governor Abbott, uh, I'm glad to see that there's leadership there stepping up, uh, but I, it's just mind-boggling to me that, that the people at the highest levels who have benefited from the from the just largesse and the blessings of America are so eager and willing to turn their backs on it and and to watch and to say we're not going to enforce our laws and to let whoever wants to come here come here. Uh, historians are going to rue this moment and ask where were we. Exactly right. And illegals serving in the U.S. military just complicate that issue and, and put us at risk of something really bad happening internally if the U.S. military is called upon to act uh, uh, in an inappropriate way or in a way that's outside of our values, James. You know, uh, it, it's an incredibly important issue, really, uh, to talk about. And, and it, our readiness being weak externally is impacted by our readiness. Uh, being weak internally too. And again, our adversaries are watching uh, and they're observing. As a matter of fact, many of these adversaries, there have been tens of thousands of uh, Chinese military age males come in to, through the southern border under Joe Biden uh, are here and we're not tracking on them. Uh, so it is a national security issue. The fact that our compact, the constitution, the partnership, the sovereign states made so long ago uh, together uh, is being broken by the federal government, brings an issue up that makes it even more important for us 
to not be indoctrinating our kids on things like critical race theory uh, because it throws issues in like slavery from long ago uh, that really don't belong here. And the issue of whether a state has a right to act on its own is one of those issues that was involved in the original Civil War. Uh, but we have to be able to talk about that issues, those issues outside of uh, the issues that were a big cause of the uh, original American Civil War leading up to the 1860s. You know, the, the issue of slavery has nothing to do with what's going on today, but the issue of the compact being ignored by the federal government does, and it's the same exact issue I tweeted out yesterday that it will come up and be debated, and it's already started. Governor Abbott's letter actually triggered even more debate today. Well, Chase, thank you very much. I've had your Twitter account up uh, the whole time we've had the show on. Uh, we appreciate you, uh, and folks, go find him. You can find him uh, uh, out there on Twitter and follow him, and follow all those men and women that signed the Declaration of Military Accountability, and go sign that petition at militaryaccountability.com or .net right now, uh, because it's for the American people to support. Well, I'm Rob Manus. We'll be back Monday with more War Mondays, uh, again with Colonel John Mills, who's been over in Taiwan the last three weeks. So it's going to be a very interesting conversation. I'll see you Monday here at Patriot TV on the Rob Manus Show Live.